Awesome. Awesome job. How are you guys doing today? Doing all right? So good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord and to be able to worship God and and uh, unlike the people of Ukraine, not worry about if a bomb's going to be dropped on you. To think about what they're dealing with, that's been occupying a lot of my mind as I've been doing that with yours as well. And I, I just want to take a moment before we get any farther to just pray for the people of Ukraine, particularly for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. You know, there's revival that's been going on for quite a while in Ukraine with regards to just faith in the Lord. And uh, you know that's being tried, and it's amazing how they've been standing up against uh, these, you know, overwhelming odds. And I just want to pray that God would be with those brothers and sisters. Would you bow your heads with me and just take a moment? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would protect our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine right now, that you would watch over them. They would feel your presence around them. Here in America, we cannot imagine what they're dealing with right now. Uh, but we can see a lot of this on social media and in uh, the news. And I just pray, Father, that you would watch over the people of Ukraine right now and that they would feel our prayers because I think our prayers have a lot to do with what's going on. Help them, Father, to resist and help them to be strong in your power and in your might, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, welcome all of our campuses that are joining with us today all across the region, everyone that's inside, everyone that's online. So thankful for each and every one of you. And uh, I know that we uh, lose people to death, uh, go on to uh, glory, and I don't usually talk about them, but I want to talk about one today because this man had a lot to do with, with uh, who we are as a church and he was a guy who went uh, relatively unnoticed by so many, but he was the first man that greeted me uh, when I came here uh, to try out to be the pastor of this church. His name's Bill Hull. He uh, passed away two days ago at the age of 94, and uh, Bill was the quintessential greeter. He was the most awesome greeter, and I have to tell you, even though a lot of you at other locations don't know who I'm talking about, a lot of our personality and our culture was defined by that guy. How everybody is welcome, everybody is greeted, everybody is cared for. And I remember him wearing his green jacket and just looking to be that first guy that said hi to somebody else. And uh, I, I, just, I just can't imagine what it's like for him to be in glory with his wife Rowena right now. Pretty awesome, awesome thing. He was a guy that delivered communion to homebound people. He did so much. And, uh, you know, uh, every one of you has the opportunity to be a kingdom shaper, a kingdom cha changer, just like Bill Hall. And I pray that God would put that on your heart. We're in a sermon series called Better. Clayton kicked it off last week, and, and I'm continuing that, talking about the foundation of being better, of winning in your home. How many of you are familiar with this? It's called Jenga. How many of you played Jenga before? Yeah, so uh, uh, you, this is what Jenga is. It's uh, stacks of blocks, uh, three wide, uh, uh, three across, and uh, on, on, on up. And what you do in this game 
is you look for that block that is susceptible to movement. And, oh, there's one. And when it's your turn, <laughs> you try to take it out without disturbing the rest of the block. So it is relatively stable when it begins, but as we start removing blocks, it becomes less and less stable. That's the way it works. And then, you know, the person that it falls on is the one that loses the game of, of Jenga. Well, what if you were able to, like, do the opposite of that? Instead of starting from stability and moving to instability, you started with instability and tried to create stability. I want you to think about it, like, in reverse. So there's a guy named Kelvin, and uh, he's also known online as the Manga Man. He's not the Jenga Man because uh, I would imagine that that is a protected, you know, trademark but he has set all sorts of world records for stacking Jenga blocks on a single block. And it's pretty amazing to see. How many of you would like to see what Kelvin actually does? Okay, I want to show you that. Check that out. Okay, so this is a single block, and he's got it on an angle with a Jenga block underneath it. And, he's a, and, and you know, some of you might go, are those glued together? Like, is that real? Right? Like, I don't know if that's... Look at another one that he's done. Those are on a golf ball. Do you see that? He's got those, the Jenga blocks on a golf ball. That's just nuts. Here's another one. Look at the size of that. One Jenga block all the way up to the ceiling. You had to remove a ceiling tile. It's incredible. Okay, here's one, like, looking down, I think. Like, this is, like, structurally... What, what he can do. I mean, just every kind that you can be known to man. I mean, he can actually make works of art. Look at this next one. Isn't that insane? A single jingle block, and he's done that off of it. Just incredible. One more, and this is two jingle blocks. So I'm looking at this, and I'm like, how did he do the center? How did he get that? I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Well, as I said... Kelvin holds the world record for stacking jingle blocks on a single uh, jingle block. And there is a time-lapsed video of him breaking the world record. Would you like to see that? It's pretty awesome. Let's watch it together. Here we go. So there's Kelvin, and here he goes. It's neat how you can see, like, this is what it looks like vertically. And this actually kind of proves that, you know, these are not glued together. He's actually doing this. Absolutely amazing. So you can watch as this thing gets taller and bigger and wider, it starts to want to move a little bit. See that? Him hold, oh, that's like, oh, it's crazy. And he just keeps running these Jenga columns down. And he's going to get down to the last six. There they are. And you can see him put them on the top over in the left-hand corner. 1,512 Jenga blocks off of a single Jenga block. But what I want you to really see is what happens next. Ready? Yeah. Didn't last long, but it sure looked good for a little while, right? Hmm. You know, Jesus talked about towers in Luke 
chapter 14, look what he said. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? See if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. When we use the term better in this sermon series, it's not about building towers. It's about building relationships. And there's an order to building relationships. And you know what? I'm going to venture a guess, but it's an educated guess. There's a number of people that are listening to me right now at all of our locations and online and inside. And you can really identify with the last part of that time-lapse video. That you thought you had it all worked out. You thought that you could do a great relationship. That you, you had all of the tools. You had all the savvy. You had everything that was necessary to put that relationship together. And for a while, it was looking good. Right? And then the crash happened. And Jesus says, you know, you, you try to build a tower, but you need to think through it first. And probably building on a single Jenga block is probably not a recipe for a long-lasting uh, construction. It's actually a recipe for disaster. And some of you have done that once. Some of you done it twice. Some of you have done it more than you can count. And the reason that I'm bringing that up today is I don't think that any of us want to fail. There's nobody that goes into a marriage. I mean, I've done plenty of marriage counseling and, you know, getting ready for a wedding. And there's nobody, I've never experienced a couple saying, we really want to have about a good 18 to 24 month run. And then we just want to blow apart. Everybody comes into the office thinking, thinking that they're going to be happy at forever, ever after. But that actually is, is not the reality. They think they have it all figured out, but maybe they don't. And there has to be a better way to build relationships, and there has to be an order in how we build relationships that honors God and that's what I know that you want, and, and together, all of us together as a church, a body of believers, that's what we want in all of our locations. There's strength in that when our relationships are sound. Now, there's a book called Becoming Better Together. It's a great book. I would encourage anyone to uh, read it that's newly married, thinking about getting married. Uh, the author's name is John Van Epp, E-P-P. Building Better Together, and he shares a truth about how relationships are built properly in the context of God's Word, what makes them stable, and what makes them sustainable. And I think all of us want stable, sustainable relationships, not just in our marriages, but in all of our relationships, in our families, with our kids, with our parents, in our workplaces, uh, our social circles, we want to have great relationships. And in this book, he uh, refers to something he calls RAM, or Relationship Attachment Model. And I'm going to start out with that today because I think there's some really practical use for that that you, that you would have. I want, and I want you to evaluate. So I want you to think about you right now and your relationships. I want you to apply this relationship attachment model 
to yourself. Don't be thinking so much about the people around you. Now, there are five components that need to happen, and they need to happen in a particular order for a solid relationship to form. Okay? I'm going to give you those five, and then I'm going to come back and define them. Here's number one, to know. The first major component in a relationship is to know. Second is to trust. Third is to rely. Fourth is to commit. And five is touch. Now, I want to define what is meant by each one of those, all right? So let's begin with know, to know. This is the result of you sharing your thoughts, sharing your dreams, sharing your feelings, and your experiences, and it needs to happen day after day. There needs to be time set aside every day in relationships to be able to share those things with each other, regular time. See, um, this is not talking about communication, but it's talking about the quality of communication. It's not like, you know, here's what the weather's going to be today, and what are we having for breakfast, and who won the last game, or what, anything like that. It, it's about quality communication. Do you have quality communication in your relationships? In all of them, not just marriage relationships, but all relationships. And is it communication that's happening regularly? Because if it's not, listen, circumstances change in relationships. Isn't that right? Like, these are the rules that you establish, but things happen. And you can't be, like in a marriage, you can't say, I told her I loved her when I got married, and if I change my mind, I'll let her know. It, It has to be regular. Regular. Because circumstances change, and you have to stay up with each other. And without proper knowledge that comes from constant communication, you know what's going to happen. Distance is going to form in that relationship, and then that's going to affect the next four components that we're going to talk about. So knowing one another, regardless of the relationship, is critical to do first. Second comes trust. Now, trust is more than just keeping promises or vows. It's this feeling you get a feeling of confidence, and a feeling of security. Isn't that what trust is? When you have confidence and security in that relationship, and it's flowing out of what you think about who you are in that relationship with. Because knowledge, and that repeated knowledge, and that sharing that comes from knowing one another, has developed this thing called trust. Now, trust doesn't come from just what you know. It comes from how you think about what you know, right? Because now you're contextualizing that knowledge, and you're actually saying, I think I can lean into this person. I think I can get closer. I think I can become more vulnerable to this person. This is all happening in your heart and head, right? But eventually, the relationship goes from knowledge to trust to the third one, which is reliance, to rely To rely refers to the way we actually depend on each other to meet each other's needs and wants, to fulfill life's responsibilities, to love, to play together, to make our experiences in life memorable. To understand the difference between trust and reliance, trust is more about what you think and reliance is more about what you actually do. 
There has to come a time when it moves from just head and heart to hands and feet, right? And you're actually walking it out. Number four in this five components is to commit. To commit. Now, I think some of us, we may immediately go to the whole vows you make at an altar, like in front of a preacher when you have your wedding ceremony, because I think, you know, that's tangible to us. But there's actually more than that. And while we're talking about vows, uh, I'm a, this might not be a traditional looking church, but there are some areas where I stay pretty traditional, and this is one of them. Because when people get married today, they like to write their own vows to each other. And I have read those vows, and I've had people repeat those vows. And if you could see what I'm actually thinking, I am inserting my finger and throwing up. (laughs) Because I know it's your thing, you know, and you kind of have your words and that kind of thing. Okay, but some of them are just flaky okay it's like you know i love you in the sunshine and i love you in the rain and uh, you know and then you got to find something that rhymes with rain like pain anyway and i'll let people do their own vows but they don't get to not do the traditional vows and the reason that i i make them do traditional vows is there are two reasons for that number one is you're not basing your commitment off of anything that your spouse does. Did you know that? When you read the traditional vows, all it's saying, all you're committing to is what you will do. That's why it says better or worse. Some of you are going, yeah, I've experienced better, but I have definitely experienced worse, right? Richer or poorer. You know, when did I have to inherit that credit card debt or that school debt. I, well, I didn't think about that. Sickness or in health. I just never thought we would have one of, one of the two of us on permanent disability. All you're promising is what you will do. You're taking an oath, right? Second reason that those vows are very important to me is it's like everybody else that attends your wedding, they get married over again. Because they remember when they said those vows, and they're kind of elbowing each other. Most of them are not looking lovingly and longingly into each other's eyes. It's usually like an elbow to the ribs. Remember that? Remember you promised that. Yeah. So those vows are important, and they are, it's actually the first of three commitments you make, okay? In relationships, you make three. The first one is to promise, and that's what this is, to promise. But I want you to see in in greater detail what commitment is because after promise is priority. You know what priority means? It means that that relationship is so important to you that it isn't just one thing in your list of things to do. It, It doesn't get pigeonholed, but it becomes a priority. Like all the other things in your life end up being determined by that first priority. That happens first. That's number one. And, I, and especially in our marriages, that needs to be understood. Third one, and this in, in our world today is super critical, and that's presence. Promise, priority, and presence. Presence is this, is that 
you're going to stay true to your, to your promise and you're going to stay true to your priority. And presence means you're carrying your partner in your heart with you wherever you go, wherever you are, just as if they were there. You think about it. How many things would we give ourselves permission to do when we are not with our spouse that we would never ever do if they were standing right there? If you practice presence, like they are there, right there in that moment, even if they're not in that moment, that they're with you, it's going to change your behavior. You're not going to be writing yourselves permission slips. And that's really good for your relationship, right? To know, to trust, to rely, to commit. And the fifth one, touch. Touch. Now, of course, you know, our minds are going to go to romance and affection and intimacy that's expressed through touch. But it doesn't just have to be in a marital relationship. I, I performed a funeral yesterday. We went to the committal. I was talking to the funeral director uh, on the way there, and we were talking about the impact of COVID on uh, funerals. And, you know, we th- I th- of course, I think about it in my context. I think about it in the church context. But can you imagine being a funeral director and saying you can pick 10 people to go to the, to the funeral, but no one else can go? And you have to stay apart from each other, and you have to wear a mask when what needs to happen? Because there's verbal communication, and then there's nonverbal communication. And you can say whatever you want to say, but you know what? There are times in life when it isn't about words, that you just need to have somebody put their arms around you and hold you while you're wretch because of the grief that you're feeling. You, know, you connecting with me there? Amen. Touch is a really important part of relationships, and particularly, obviously, in a marriage relationship. Check this out. God hired, uh, hardwired you this way because there are chemicals that your body produces hormonally that with touch are released into your bloodstream, into your system, like oxytocin, dopamine, vasopressin. And when they get released into your bloodstream, they are actually designed to hardwire you for permanent bonding to that person. That's serious stuff. Now, hang on with me, because now it's going to get real. These components that I just mentioned, they're in order. And each one has a slider. Look at this right here, okay? So, you know, think of a, like a tech control board they have back here. They have these sliders, you know, volume up, volume down, right? And so you have no trust, rely, commit, touch. I wonder if you're here with your spouse, if you're here with your fiancé, if you're here with somebody uh, in that kind of a relationship, I wonder if both of you were to do this, like as a little test, and you didn't do, like, you didn't do yours, you did theirs, and then you exchanged papers. Where would you be on the no scale? How much attention are you paying to that? Where would you be on trust? Where would you be on rely? Where would you be on commit? Where would you be on touch? <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question. When it comes to romantic relationships and marital relationships, where do you think most relationships begin? 
honestly today. A lot of them start right here. Don't they? All I'm saying is that explains a lot. Actually does. We have all these chemicals then bonding us without any of the components that we need. All of these components are necessary for that relationship to be stable and substantial. And we don't have those because we released all of these chemicals into our body, permanently bonding to somebody we don't even really know. Some of you are going, ooh, why didn't I come next week? Why did I have to come this week? And I'm just saying, how's that working out for you, Kelvin? Because you're not Kelvin. You think that you can build your relationship starting with one Jenga block, and then you'll just figure out how to put all this stuff up on top. And I'm telling you, that doesn't work very well. So some of you are like, where's the door? Because now I'm just depressed. I came in here to get a little encouragement, you know, a little strength for the week. And now I'm not feeling too good. So if you haven't done this right, and you're living in the reality of not doing it right, are you doomed? Not necessarily. But it's going to take a lot of work. You're going to have to pay some real attention to this. You're going to have to start moving these sliders where they need to be. And some need to go down while others go up so that you can build it right. Get them in the right order. Allison and I, uh, you know we're building a marriage retreat center at camp, right? We're putting that together and the the walls and sticks are going up now. And uh, uh, Allison and I are going to start doing marriage retreats in the fall. We're going to do it for all of our campuses uh, and that's what this center is really all about. And we're excited to see how it would strengthen marriages in our church. Because if you have strong marriages in your church, it goes a long way to having a strong church, right? And, and, and I know that's what you want. We're all going to be in agreement there. That's what we want. And regardless of where you are in your relationships, you need to know which sliders need to be moved up. You, and, and, you know, which one's maybe need to be moved down so that gives room for the others to move up. But the real thing I want to share with you, that I said all that so I could say this moment, is that when it comes to starting it, any relationship, they all need to start in the right place. Check this out. And they all need to start in exactly the same place. It doesn't matter if you're single, if you're staying single, If you're engaged, if you're married, if you're divorced, if you're a single parent, we all have to start in exactly the same place. Look at Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What a question. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the, everybody say this word. Say it one more time with with, with passion. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these 
two commandments. Now, we've talked about this commandment before. Many of you have heard this before. But you know what? When it's usually discussed, it's titled the greatest commandment. Like we'll talk about being great commission and great commandment people. So we think about the word great, but you know what we don't think about? The word first. And what does it mean when, when, when Jesus says this is your first commandment? That means it goes first. That means everything else in your life has to be built on what comes first, that it's foundational to your life. This is foundational to your marriage. It's foundational to your family. It's foundational to your social relationships. It's foundational to the way that you view the world. No matter what we desire to do or have or achieve in this life, this has to come first. Because the stronger the foundation, the more stable whatever is built upon it. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 33. But seek, there it is again, first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This foundation ensures that those other things are going to come in life and they will come in life, but they will have what is necessary to withstand the test of time and the tests of circumstance. How many of you Remember last year, it was a big story last year in Miami of the Surfside Condominium. How many of you remember that, the Surfside Condominium? For those of you that don't remember, I'll just tell you that there was a condominium tower in Miami that collapsed at 1 a.m. in the morning, killed 98 people. And this is an animation of what happened. This is what it looked like. And then at 1 in the morning... The center part fell, and then after it, the tower fell. Now, what was interesting about this tragedy is that the tower was not particularly old. It wasn't under any major renovations. They weren't doing any construction. It wasn't the victim of any storm or outside influence like that, like a natural disaster. There wasn't an earthquake. There wasn't like a gas explosion. There wasn't a terrorist attack. No one to blame for that. It had stood for over 40 years, and then it just fell down. And it took a while for investigators to understand and unravel the mystery of this tragedy. The problem went back to, guess where? The beginning. The way that they had laid the foundation, the way they had built off of that foundation, the shoddy workmanship, the cutting of corners, the disregard for how time affects a building and how nature affects a building. And you know what? There were plenty of warning signs, plenty of warning signs, cracks in the condominium uh, in the housing, cracks in the, uh, the pillars that held up the building. And do you know how they solved it? Spackle and paint. More cracks, more spackle, more paint, more cracks, put a planter down. They actually did this. They built concrete planters and put like foliage in those planters so people would not see the cracks that had formed. The thing is, the Surfside Condominium was no Jenga game. 
It was a tragedy. And your marriage and your family and your key relationships, they're not a game either, are they? Well, you have to understand that the stakes are high. We have to start in the right place. We need to put first things first, and that is our relationship to God, our love for God and one another. We put those things in the right place, the right things, and then we build in the right order. And only then are we building something that's going to withstand the test of time and all that this world can throw at it. Because let me tell you, the world is throwing things at your relationships. And you want to be ready for that. So here's a moment, just a moment, for all of us at all of our locations to get serious and say, hey, am I building on the right foundation? On the foundation of loving the Lord, being in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I building it on a foundation that starts with loving the people that are around me, doesn't end with it? really starts that way. And am I doing relationships the way God designed? To start in the right place and build it up so that I don't end up looking like what Kelvin's world record looked like about 10 seconds after he achieved it. I want you to think about that as we move to a time of decision. I cannot tell you. <laughs> Moment of transparency. You know, we've, we've got new carpet. And uh, so we had to take all the chairs up. And uh, a lot of you here last week, second service, you, you stayed and you helped and, and uh, got all the chairs out so that all this carpet could go down. And we put the chairs back. And you know what? When these are carpet squares, it's a whole lot easier to line up these chairs because you can use those squares to do that. And then we kind of reconfigured it. And you'll notice that probably now you're a little closer than you were before. Have you noticed that? And, and all the chairs that were stacked up on the sidewalls now, they're almost all down here. And I'm looking out and I'm seeing like a full house. And I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful to see the last service it was that way. Thursday night it was that way. And I'm just, that's so exciting to see God doing that and you cooperating with that and all of us together getting to learn from the Lord together. It's just great. But we're at this point now, at this point, with the opportunity. You're here. You made the investment. You had made the investment to be here. Now I want you to consider making the investment in the Lord Jesus. Some of you have never come into an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look how far you've come just to be here in this moment. What if you step just a little further? I mean, you think about it. Where you're In a moment, we're going to be standing. You're going to be standing. You know, and if you've never made this decision, maybe you're skeptical. You still think you're Kelvin. You still think that you can like build your life off of one block. You. Maybe this has challenged you today. I want you to calculate, like, 
there's going to be someone standing right over there by the baptistry. I want you to calculate wherever it is that you're sitting in our auditorium right now, how many steps do you think it is from where you are to over there? And how hard would it be for you to take those steps? And which steps would be the hardest? Probably the first and the second and the third and the fourth one, right? Because that's when you kind of just step out. The commitment is, you're moving forward in the commitment. How many of you are to the place where you can say, I know enough about the Lord to know that he loves me and died for me. I can trust him. I want to rely on him. I want to commit to him. I wonder how many could just go over there and say, I'm ready to make that commitment to him today. Lay that foundation because it's first. Some of you today... That foundation's laid. It came first. And, and some of you are thinking about it like you thought about your wedding vows. You know, I told him I loved him when I accepted him. And if I change my mind, I'll let him know. When the truth is, commitment to the Lord is more than just a statement you make at one time in your life. Or the water that you're baptized at that one time in your life, right? Because you practice priority and you practice presence, right? And some of us are like, eh, I'm not doing too good on the presence. I'm not doing too good on the priority. Oh, good, good that you're here. Because what better way is there than to just take a knee, to humble yourself, to get low, and to tell the Lord, I want to get that presence right. I want to get that priority right. I want to keep my promise. In the last services, we've had people up here. We've had people two, three deep, you know? And you still have to make that calculation from where you'll be standing, how many steps to up here. You walk up here and you get down on your knees for an audience of one. And he's ready. He's ready to have that conversation with you. And you'll leave here not with one jingle block holding up your life. You'll leave here feeling God's mighty hand. I encourage you to think about that as you stand with me. Would you stand? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, would you please take this moment Pray, Father, that you would be Lord of this moment. That, Father, we wouldn't be so connected to our own ego and our own pride that we wouldn't just take a moment to be humble, to count the cost, and to make the commitment. You know, Father, that we mess up. Every married person in this room messes up. It'll happen today. But Father, continually living in the promise 
living in the priority, living in the presence. When we fail, failing forward, getting back up, trusting you again. You're so faithful. And your love never fails. Oh, Father, take this moment and restore, restore our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.